Welcome to OncoPharm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of OncoPharm, ETSU's Bill Gadd College of Pharmacy. Uh, it's the last episode of May 2022. Um, looking back, I, you know, I, I do these every week. I forget what I talk about. I look back and we've done, uh, you know, docetaxel recently and uh, last week how to interpret uh, the NCCN guidelines and how to utilize them. And there was a landmark of Uncle Farm. It's been a while since we talked about new data. And uh, I'm, I guess I got like podcaster block because there's nothing that's come across my, my transom, so to speak, that really is practice changing. So, um, but there were a couple interesting things that I've read recently that, that I think are kind of maybe what to see next or what to look for next, uh, specifically a non-small cell lung cancer and then an AML. So that's what we're going to talk about, what's next in non-small cell lung cancer. So in recent, uh, about a month ago or so, sometime in April, uh, FDA approved a neoadjuvant nivolumab plus three cycles of chemotherapy in non-small cell lung cancer patients. These were mostly 3A patients in Checkmate 816. Well, there was a a really interesting um, eye-opening I would even say, a phase two study called the NADIM study, N-A-D-I-M, or NADIM, NADIM. Uh, This is a Spanish study, I believe, that was published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology uh, very recently. It's a phase two study uh, that is looking, so so single agent phase two study, not going to be able to change anything from a, a single arm phase two study. It is literally just a dot on an XY axis or whatever, right? That's how I think of this. So, um, this is going to kind of be coupled with maybe some discussion to what we previously talked about with Checkmate 816 neoadjuvant uh, nivolumab. So this is neoadjuvant nivolumab as well with chemotherapy in operable stage 3 non-small cell lung cancer. Keynote uh, 816 was mostly all stage 3. There were some 1B stage 2 patients as well. So in, in this trial, and this is an update with the overall survival data that is like strikingly good, which is why I want to talk about it. Um, compared to what we would expect historically. Um, so um, previously this had been published and they had really good pathologic CR rates, like PCR rates of like 60%, 70%. Yeah, 64% is what they reported originally. In Checkmate 816, the pathologic complete response rate went from 2% with chemo to like 24% with chemo and, and nivolumab, which is a huge relative improvement, but here we're doing the same thing. We're doing uh, Nevo plus chemo. The chemo in this study, it's grown-up chemo. It's adult chemo. It's paclitaxel 200 and carbo AUC6. Um, now, Checkmate 16 allowed cisplatin, like 40% of patients had cisplatin uh, as well. Um, so they're getting, you know, heavy doses of chemo, but still this PCR rate of 60% is head-scratching. And... Um, First, I thought, are there differences in the demographics? I mean, they are. Sure, they're, you know, different patients, but they don't look like, you know, this group in the Spanish study and the deem should be so much more sensitive. Uh, it's like, are they measuring PCR the same way? And it looks like maybe they're not. In, in this study, PCR was defined as no viable tumor in the primary tumor, no mention of nodal uh, uh, resolution, in Checkmate 16, it's no viable tumor in primary tumor and resected nodes, and all these patients had resection. That was the, that was the point. Okay, so anyway, they end up having a three-year overall survival rate, uh, or 36 months overall survival rate, of 80 percent. All right, historically that would be like 
25, 40, like 30%, okay? So they're like tripling three-year overall survival. Now it's a small study, right? We're talking fewer than 100 patients enrolled in this trial. You know, we're not not having uh, not having that many folks. Like I think fewer than 50 even. It's like 40-some patients, okay? So really small. So huge, uh, wide uh, magnitude, like confidence interval, you know, again, not practice changing uh, in any way, but it might change study design practice, okay? And that's kind of what I want to talk about when I say what could be next. These would be the next things maybe to look for in, in studies of, of non-small cell lung cancer. Um, so again, in this study, they got three cycles of Nevo and chemo, very similar to Checkmate 16. Differently though, they got a year of adjuvant nivolumab afterwards. That's kind of the big difference drug-wise here uh, as far as treatment. Um, the primary endpoint was PCR and stuff, but what I want to talk about is what predicted overall survival and progression-free survival was uh, response of circulating-free DNA. So this would be like a blood test where they are looking for, as they call it, uh, mutant allele fraction. So they're looking for abnormal DNA in the blood, presumably from the tumor, and then they divide that by the amount of total DNA plus mutant DNA. And if that gets to uh, less than 0.1%, that's what they're calling like a, a you know a circulating free DNA negative. And for those folks that had circulating free DNA of less than uh, 0.1%, less than 1% is what they did, you know, um, 30, you know, after their year of adjuvant nivolumab, by 20 months, all 31 are still alive. By 30 months, 29 of the 31 are alive. The authors say everyone who had a, who met that criteria was alive, except for two patients who died from COVID. So, um, and those who did not have this, um, this circulating free DNA uh, response, you know, they are, um, seen kind of the natural history of disease there. I mean, their 36-month overall survival is hovering around 50%. Again, very, very, very small numbers, very wide confidence intervals. But what this suggests is maybe this is the biomarker to really study, to look at uh, who is going to benefit from this. And if, if, if this is a goal that we want to maybe adapt our treatment to based on response from circulating free DNA using like a liquid biopsy. Um, that was more predictive in this study of overall survival than tumor mutation burden or even PD-L1 status. Now in Checkmate 816, PD-L1 status was a very important, uh, you know, correlate with response. PD-L1 above 50% had better survival than those just above 1%, 1 to 49% or those less than 1%. Very clear trend. Uh, with Checkmate 16. Again, they got these folks in Nadim got an extra year of um, of nivolumab. Now, historically, and even if you look in our favorite guidelines, you don't see neoadjuvant chemo, uh, you know, listed um, or neoadjuvant immunotherapy listed, and uh, you know, don't see a ton of neoadjuvant chemo. These folks aren't aren't terribly in great shape, and if their disease is resectable. You know, these are folks that are at risk. They've, they've been smoking. They have COPD. They're not folks that are going to probably tolerate chemo great. And any setback could prevent them, like a neutropenic fever in the hospital, could prevent them from going on to get potentially curative surgery, even though the rates of, of long-term survival with stage 3 lung cancer are, are not great. Um, we know that, you know, immune checkpoint inhibitors are very active in this disease. They're fairly well tolerated. It makes a lot of sense to try to introduce them earlier if we can cure folks. I really hope they design a good study, a cooperative group, and not a pharmaceutical industry 
to, to design a study that really looks at can we cure more people uh, in this space. Uh, now, one of the reasons that neoadjuvant chemo has maybe not been used a lot uh, here is we know in breast cancer, pathologic complete response is a pretty good correlate then for disease-free survival and likely overall survival. It's really hard to say that for non-small cell lung cancer because chemo by itself is only getting a pathologic complete response of like 2% with chemo alone in these studies, okay? So not a whole lot of, of meat on the bone there to, to study. Now increasing that PCR rate to 20% in Checkmate 816 uh, was big. Here this PCR rate is 60%, take with a grain of salt, right? It's an outlier. They may be analyzed it differently. Um, uh, and I talked about in Checkmate 16 as well that the surgery is the curative thing here. Uh, so uh, the, the role of the surgeon is, is crucial as well. Now, because we could not really predict, or PCR was not a good surrogate marker for benefit, it was hard to figure out what to do. So what you might see going forward is looking at this circulating free DNA. And if that all goes away, maybe those folks don't need a year of adjuvant nivolumab, or maybe it's three months of adjuvant nivolumab, or those with a lot of circulating free DNA still there uh, will end up getting maybe some, you know, three cycles of adjuvant chemo instead of just three cycles of neoadjuvant for six cycles total of chemo along with some adjuvant. That's what I think we might see going forward in, in non-small cell lung cancer. That makes a, a lot more sense to me trying to cure these folks than, than TKIs uh, in the neoadjuvant setting. Um, all right. So that's maybe what's next in non-small cell lung cancer. And maybe what's next in AML, and this is probably not a surprise, uh, would be adding venetoclax upfront to intensive chemotherapy. And, and the, the study I'm going to talk about here was published in Lancet Hematology. It's from MD Anderson. It's venetoclax with intensive chemo in newly diagnosed AML. A post hoc propensity score matched cohort study. The more words described in a study that are not randomized controlled phase three trial, um, you know, this the again not practice changing despite what people may say on twitter that this improves overall survival in these patients we can't say that for sure right um so aml is a very interesting space and to be honest not one that i am as well versed in the data on so we do have some phase two studies of venetoclax plus intensive chemo like with seven plus three showing really great response rates especially mrd negative response so no minimum residual disease uh, and we think that that equates to longer survival. So this is uh, a study of, um, you know, th patients who are on clinical trials at MD Anderson receiving venetoclax and not seven plus three intensive chemo, but purine analog intensive chemo. So either, you know, some there's some flag ida, CLIA, which is cladribine, ida rubicin, and cytarabine, um, compared to uh, patients not getting venetoclax who received uh, CLIA, FIA, which is fludarabine, idrobsin, and IRC, uh, both out GCSF apparently, never heard of FIA, and then CIA or CIA, which is clofarabine, idrobsin, and IRC. So purine analog-based regimens, not seven plus three. Um, and you know, they do a propensity score matching uh, this cohort site to try to get the groups to be equivalent. And, and what you end up seeing here is the venetoclax group um, has um, an absolute increase of 9% more favorable risk and 8% fewer adverse risks. So the Veneta class group looks uh, to have some better risk AML and only 85 patients in this group. So again, you're gonna have really wide confidence intervals with any analysis with a, with a small uh, group here. Um, they're not able to, you know, as a postdoc, they don't know what they got after necessarily protocol 
post-protocol therapy if they relapsed and that sort of thing. Um, what you do see is 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 um, better uh, MRD negative response rate, 86% with venetoclax versus 61%. Um, they go on to talk about what happens to folks getting transplant and that the adverse uh, prognostic group benefited uh, from venetoclax. They say intermediate didn't, but that's a really wide conference. Well, it seems like they might, whereas favorable, uh, there was not really a suggestion that favorable risk folks benefited uh, from venetoclax upfront with this purine analog based therapy. So, what uh, you often see in cancer is you have a drug like venetoclax that shows activity in the relapse refractory setting. Well, then we try in the upfront setting, and this was done at, at, in, in the addition to azacitidine in these older or unfit patients with AML. Well, now the next logical question is let's add it um, upfront with intensive chemo, and uh, that makes a lot of sense uh, to study. Uh, we know that uh, in some of the early studies, uh, adding, say, venetoclax plus 7 plus 3, so pretty long duration of cytopenias until count recovery, and so you worry about infectious complications. Notably, toxicity was not reported in this publication here um, of, you know, infections, things like that. Uh, that will come out because all these patients were on studies. Presumably, these individual studies will be published, and, and we will have that data. Uh, but it sort of looks like that maybe the study to design would be to, to target venetoclax plus intensive chemo in those with intermediate and especially adverse cytogenetics or adverse risk uh, groups up front. Kind of hard to do up front because you don't get your cytogenetics back and uh, you know sometimes for a month depending on, on your practice site. So probably would have to randomize all patients to venetoclax plus 7 plus 3 or flag or flag eye or whatever versus without venetoclax. Um, but that's what might be next is that maybe you might see venetoclax frontline uh, with intensive chemo for those patients fit for intensive therapy only if they have, say, not favorable uh, uh, ELN group, the European uh, risk factor group. Uh, last thing, what, uh, what unfortunately may be, I don't know if it's unfortunate, but we talked recently last month about the lack of agility in the Agile study. That was uh, azacitidine plus ivacidinib versus azacitidine in IDH1 mutated AML. Um, the patients who just got azacitidine, almost none of them got ivacidinib post-protocol. Very few of them got venetoclax, uh, which is, is a great say. Anyway, that got FDA approved yesterday, and I just think that if you have IDH1 mutated AML, if it were me, I would want the venetoclax plus azacitidine regimen and then ivacidinib at relapse, which is probably what everyone would have been doing anyway. Uh, it got FDA approval. It wasn't a great study design. It's unfortunate. Boo. All right. That's all I have for today. Uh, thank you all for uh, listening. Hopefully we'll have some, some guest appearances uh, next month on the podcast. Uh, and we've got ASCO coming up in June, so there'll be a lot of new data coming out then. We'll do a big pod uh, post-ASCO. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeatonDib. You can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Mm-hmm.